traveling abroad with type 1 diabetes. The thought of traveling internationally with type 1 can certainly be overwhelming. There's all of the unfamiliar foods, there's language barriers, adjusting to new time zones, going through borders and customs with prescription medications. The list of considerations can seemingly be endless. Our guests on this week's episode of The Leap will be making the case that traveling abroad with T1D is not only realistic and achievable, but it's also well worth the extra time that's required in planning. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The Leap, a video and podcast series brought to you by the Diabetes Family Connection, where we find inspirational folks who have stepped outside of their comfort zones, taken a leap of faith, all while navigating the highs and lows of type 1 diabetes. And by hearing these stories and experiences, hopefully you'll be inspired to take your own leap of faith and realize that the sky is truly the limit with type 1 diabetes. In this week's episode, we sat down with Dr. Amir Hamden, Katie Kraft, and Franny Burson, three globetrotters who have brought their type 1 diabetes on adventures across Southeast Asia, the Middle East, South America, Africa, and beyond. Our guests today break down a lot of the fears one might have before traveling internationally and answer all sorts of great questions. If you're ready to step outside at your little corner of the earth, this episode is for you. Now, I am probably biased, but I could not be more excited for tonight's episode of The Leap, where we are tackling traveling abroad with type 1 diabetes. There is a famous quote that comes to mind. Y'all are probably aware of it. It says, traveling is the only thing you can spend your money on and actually end up richer. And I think it's probably apparent that that original author wasn't aware of how general investing works or the stock market or how much money he'd be worth had he not sold his Beanie Baby collection. Bad joke. Regardless, there is a lot of truth in that statement. There's a lot of personal growth and enrichment that comes with traveling. And it's unfortunate that I think sometimes when you are living with type one, the thought of traveling internationally can be overwhelming and intimidating, and you might shy away from even trying that experience. So I'm very grateful that we have an all-star cast with us tonight who are not only living with type one, but have actually reached almost every corner of the globe, it seems like, and are here to share their experiences and their stories to show that you absolutely can travel safely abroad. So with that being said, we'll go ahead and jump into introductions. So if you want to say who you are, where you are located in the world right now, what your life looks like when you are not traveling, and how long you've been living with type 1 diabetes. And Katie, we'll go ahead and start with you. Um, thanks for having me, Patrick. I'm excited to be here tonight. Uh, my name's Katie, and I live in Oakland, California. Home for me will always be Georgia, though. Um, and when I'm not traveling, I am probably either at diabetes camp or at my job at Children's Hospital Oakland. I'm a certified child life specialist there. All right, Amir, we're going to pass it over to you. All right. Thanks for having me, Patrick. And hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Amir. Uh, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, when I'm not traveling, I, I work in Durham, North Carolina as a hospitalist. Very cool. Yeah. Franny, we are going to pass it over to you. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Um, I'm Franny. I currently, when not traveling, live in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, and I work for a lighting agency here. One more quick question, because I think it helps people to kind of make parallels with their own diabetes management. If everyone just wants to say how they currently manage their diabetes, Franny, we'll start with you. Yeah. Um, so forgot to say how long I've had diabetes. Oh. I just celebrated my 18th anniversary, so my diabetes can officially vote. I like to go back and forth. I'm currently on shots and uh, wear a Dexcom. How about you, Amir? I also forgot to say how long I have diabetes. Uh, 22 years. Uh, so 22 years with diabetes and I've used a lot of different things, but right now I've got the Dexcom G6 and I'm also using uh, T-Slim. Are you using the control IQ system, Amir? Uh, right now, I actually have not up, uh, seen my doctor upgrade to that yet. Okay. Are you on basal IQ then? Yes. Cool. And that's a, a lifesaver. Awesome. All right, Katie, what systems are you using? Currently, I am looping, which I absolutely love. So I use the old, old Medtronic pump, my handy-dandy Riley Link, which converts the radio waves to Bluetooth waves so it can talk to my app on my phone um, that I made with the help of Tamar. And I love it. It has definitely changed my life with diabetes. Um, 
I've had diabetes for 21 years. So congratulations, Franny, on your diabetes being able to vote. Mine can now party in Las Vegas. Um, and the plan was to be in Las Vegas for my 21st diet birthday. It's actually in October, but obviously those plans are gonna have to wait a little while. You're all invited though. <laughs> Fantastic, this is cool. So we kind of have a spread of different management techniques uh, while you're traveling abroad. So this, is, this will be great. So let's quickly kind of jump into our traveling portfolio. So if you all can kind of talk about different experiences that you have had abroad, so places you've visited, and then maybe if you could talk a little bit about the longest trip that you've had or the longest duration you've been abroad. Katie, we'll start with you on this one. Um, I need to sit down and count countries, but it's somewhere around 29 or 30. Um, and yeah, from trips with friends in the beginning to, you know, places in Europe. And then most recently, I think my last trip was a solo trip to the Philippines. Um, I longest length of time is no more than, well, I guess studying abroad, if that counts, but um, a couple weeks at a time when I can take chunks off of work. Um, I think Ethiopia is pretty memorable. There's so many amazing things there from the bleeding heart baboons to lava lakes and yeah, there's all kinds of crazy adventures from Ethiopia. Amir, we're gonna pass it over to you. Uh, yeah, so I think somewhere around 12 countries um, and some of them I visited more than once. So actually 25 international trips total. Um, and I think, you know, traveling abroad is a big part of it, but also traveling domestically is a big thing too. So I even counted my states at 24. So I want to see the rest of them at some point. Um, probably some highlights. I, don't know, I got to go to Cuba uh, pre-COVID. Uh, I got to go to Croatia, which was gorgeous um, and had a blast in South Africa. So I've been just trying to see what I can see, experience new foods, uh, cultures, so it's been great. Very cool. What's, what's the longest you've been gone? Uh, so I took a trip in a summer in high school and I was gone, I was in England for a month. Um, besides that, probably just really keeping around two weeks now when I get to travel. Great, all right, Franny. Yeah, um, so I started traveling really young because my parents kind of gave me the bug. So we would hop around Europe with my family um, and then I got to go to Australia. My brother was studying abroad there. So I did about a three-week trip in high school to Australia. Um, and it's, then I studied abroad in South Africa for a summer during college. And just two years ago, it's been my longest trip. I did a backpacking trip through Southeast Asia. Um, and I was gone for almost four months over there. Wow. Definitely some impressive portfolios when it comes to traveling you all are going to be experts on this. This is great. So we'll kind of talk about the pre-trip planning process. Does living with type one, has that ever impacted a decision on where you decide to travel to? It has not impacted or kind of affected where I decide to travel. Um, I've been able to, you know, I feel like if you're going on a trip within the U.S., you can make the same plans if you're making a trip outside of the U.S. Um, we just have to do a few extra things and planning wise, you can get you know, loaner pumps or take extra insulin if you're on injections. So I haven't let that negatively impact me. And it sounds like the rest of the folks, I mean, Brandy, with your four month trip, um, you know, make sure you have all the right supplies and everything. So it's been, I, I don't think it's been a barrier, just something that I have to consider when I'm making those trips. Awesome. So it sounds like everyone kind of has a similar confidence and sentiment with diabetes not being a barrier to their traveling. Has that been a confidence that you've always had or have, has that confidence grown with the more travel that you've gotten under your belt? Katie, I'll, I'll pass that one over to you. I think that's a great question. Um, I feel like I'm really thankful for my experiences with traveling and that we're in more developed countries at the beginning of growing my confidence as a traveler. Um, I definitely always had um, pharmacies, you know, close by and hospitals close by. And I think that for my first, you know, trips abroad solo um, or not solo, but with friends without parents there um, as an older teen and in your your 20s, um, that that's a nice thing to have <laughs> as you're learning how to navigate challenges of travel and so many different um, factors between food and sickness and altitudes and time changes. Um, just a nice kind of comfort blanket to know that those things are nearby. Um, I definitely think I've um, grown in that confidence over the years and um, all it takes is, you know, more planning and more research and knowing that you know what you need um, and how to advocate for yourself and how to prepare. And 
in ways that are gonna you know make you successful in unique situations no matter where those are so i definitely feel more confident now traveling a broader range of places where i can be you know outside of driving distance from a hospital for days or nowhere near a pharmacy and i i feel confident my ability to keep insulin cool and all my supplies close by and um yeah i don't i don't know that i was there when i was 18 and you know took those first trips alone so i'm glad that i've had some countries under my belt to be able to learn new tips. Great. You, you have definitely brought up some, some awesome topics that we're going to take a much deeper dive in some of those specific things that you brought up. At this point, you've decided where you're going to go travel next. Franny, what, what happens next? Do you have a conversation with your healthcare provider? If so, what does that com- conversation look like? Um, absolutely. <laughs> the best thing to say is um, when you're planning ahead, especially if you're going to do it for like a really long trip, you definitely need to talk to your endocrinologist because um, you have to think that you would normally, you know, if I'm gone for four months, you can get your prescription every three months. So how do you make your supplies last that long? Um, so you talk to your doctor and they can usually write you a letter to your insurance companies that will let you have um, an extended amount of supplies for a long period of time. So instead of picking it up once every three months, uh, once every month, um, I got six months of all of my diabetes supplies at once. And I figured I would probably be there for about four. I wanted to have plenty, so I got six. Um, The other interesting part about that is when you're traveling, a lot of times you're only allowed to travel with like a certain amount of prescriptions on your person at once. Like TSA will check that. So to kind of like get around that loophole, if there was one, um, every time I've traveled for an extensive period of time, I just uh, have my endocrinologist write a letter that I keep with my prescriptions in my bag. I always keep my uh, diabetes supplies in my carry-on, by the way, never ever check them. And I have been stopped by TSA, but when they go through them and go through all of the stuff, I have my letter right there from my doctor saying, they, this is the amount of medication they need for their type one diabetes for the duration of their travel. They are approved to fly and travel with them, something along those lines. Um, awesome. That, that actually segues into kind of our next topic, our next big topic, which, which is going through that packing checklist. And I'm not totally concerned about how many pairs of underwear you're bringing, Amir. Uh, but I do want to know specifically, what are you thinking about diabetes-wise that might be different than when you're traveling domestically, let's say? So kind of tell me what's going through your head in that thought process when you're packing for an international trip. The thought process. So where am I going? How long am I going to be there? Um, but anytime I travel, I think about, okay, I've got my pump. Um, the perfect example is when I had my Medtronic. Uh, what I did there is it had actually been out of warranty. And so I was like, okay, the pump's a little old. Um, I was actually trying to figure out, do I stay with Medtronic? Do I go with Tandem? Because I used the Dexcom trying to figure out the system. But Medtronic and Tandem and most of your, um, I think, pump companies, they all have a loaner program. And so for an extended trip, I actually thought it would be a good idea to get a loaner. Um, it's, was $50 with Medtronic. So I traveled with that and I got it for 90 days. Um, and then you just return it when you're done. But supply wise, I just, I'm a big, just take double what I need. Take two vials of insulin in case something happens to one, take two sets of reservoirs, uh, two sets of sites. Um, and pretty much I'm really set when I do that. And obviously now, since we don't use batteries, something to charge it with. Um, and actually I didn't know if you like props, I'm a big fan of one of these, a converter that has the USB in it port. So you can charge multiple things, phone, insulin pump, everything at one time. Um, but yeah, I think the answer is two of everything. Um, and I also take from a different box just in case there is a, like, I don't know. So every once in a while you get a bad lot of a supply just so uh, I don't run any side effects there. One of the things that just came to mind when you showed that converter, have you ever had concerns about, voltage or or different power wattage that comes out of different countries outlets when charging medical devices? So the answer simply is yes. And so I charge in a battery pack with the pump. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Katie, when you're packing, what are you kind of thinking in terms of backups if one of your systems were to fail? Obviously, if something were to go wrong abroad, it's going to be a little bit more of a headache or it could potentially be a lot more of a headache getting backup supplies than if you were to be traveling domestically? Totally. Um, I usually bring an old pump with me. Um, I've never done a loaner pump, but that's just because I have, you know, older pumps that I've been on before available. 
And then I always have syringes. Syringes and insulin are just, you know, our basics. And um, if everything else fails, you know, you can get through the day with those guys. So that's always my, my go-to um, system wise. And then just like a mirror, I always pack double whenever I'm going. Um, and I tend to try and extend wear on things too, to just make sure that I have plenty of supplies at the end. Um, when I'm traveling, I do a lot more, you know, adventurous stuff that it might get ripped off in rivers or waterfalls, or there might be more sweat if you're hiking. And so trying to wear things as long as I can, if I would normally leave it a set in for three days, I might do more like five just to make sure that I have plenty of sets and figuring I'll probably rip a few out along the way too. Um, same with sensors. Great, great. I had the struggle, I guess my biggest thing with packing for me was I knew insulin was going to be different um, in Asia and not just like different names, but their whole units are different. So you'd have to learn a whole different conversion chart and such. Um, so I talked to my doctor and I figured with, with backpacking with the limited amount of space I actually had in my pack, um, the best option for me was just to take pens. Um, and so I ended up taking about six months worth of insulin pens with me to Asia. And the biggest then thing was how do I keep them cold? Because um, like we all know, insulin, you know, can only stay out of, the, out of the fridge for about 28 days. So I had to get pretty creative um, through that. Uh, if you guys have ever heard of Frio packs, um, they're amazing. They have these little crystals in them. You just soak them in water for about 30 minutes and they puff up and then you stick some insulin in there and it can keep them cold for about 12. I definitely kept them in there for longer than 12 hours without recharging. Um, but so that was the first thing, just like how do I fly all the way over there and keep all this insulin cold? Because you know, if, I, if it all goes bad, then I'm just not gonna be in a good place. So I do use the Frios to get to Asia, which, you know, took about 35 hours or so with the flights total to get there. Um, and then once I got there, I ended up just like going every time I would check into a new hostel. Everyone was so friendly. I got really good at using Google Translate, just kind of explain to them the situation. If I have medication, it needs to stay cold. Um, can I store this in your fridge, in your kitchen? And then I would always, you know, be, go with them to the kitchen to see physically where it was stored. You never know with the different languages. I was worried sometimes they might misunderstand me and put it in the freezer and then that would not be good. Um, so it was always, I never felt uh, unsafe with that. Even sometimes there was a communal fridge and I just had labeled it really big on there, like medication, kept it in the fridge, um, in the Frio packs, in the sleeves. So they wouldn't just like be out and about. So like you would take the crystal part out and they just have these sleeves that wrap around them. Um, and then the only other really interesting experience I had with keeping insulin cold was, it was very shortly after I got there. So I was still kind of learning the ropes and I knew I was gonna be on a bus for about 14 hours and Thailand is notorious for not having air conditioning on buses. So I was really panicked that, you know, at the very beginning of my trip, all of my insulin was gonna go bad. So I ended up going to like a little supermarket and found like a teeny tiny styrofoam cooler about this big. And then I got little mini bottles of water and stuck them in the hostel freezer the night before. So they were frozen. And I just like stuck them down in this styrofoam uh, cooler, put all of my insulin in there and just held it on my lap for 14 hours. <laughs> and thank God we did because there was no AC on that bus and it was miserable and I probably would have been in a very bad situation otherwise. Um, but obviously before you go, I did a lot of research about, you know, if I'm taking this type of insulin, what is the like name of it and this language? And then I would print it off. So I had, you know, not just on my phone, you never know if you don't have Wi-Fi and can Google. So I had physical paper copies of what all of the drugs and all of the countries I thought I might be going to, like what they were called, um, and so forth. And did not have to actually, um, thankfully, do that experience. So my insulin was good for four months. Franny's quite the MacGyver of <laughs> traveling internationally with diabetes. Awesome. Um, Amir, so Franny touched on this a little bit, but a lot of times when you're traveling abroad, that can involve traveling to countries where you might not speak the native language or English is not widely spoken. What are some things, some considerations you take into place then? Are there particular phrases that you try to learn ahead of time regarding diabetes? 
It's a great question. Um, hmm. Fortunately, most of the countries I go to, people have spoken English, um, but I'm 100% agree. Google Translate has been super helpful. Um, and then also now the Google, it has the, the video option or the camera option. So you can actually put it up to what you're reading and it'll translate it on your phone to English for you. Um, but there are several ways to communicate. Um, but I think learning like diabetes in the native tongue, um, because it's everywhere. And so everybody knows about it. And so if you actually do need help and you can kind of tell somebody what's going on, um, you know, just with the term. And then, you know, I think you know, learning high and low and, and insulin are all helpful too. Great, great. Katie, show, show what yeah. you're holding up there. Vanna White, this. Um, AccuCheck has some awesome just um, little phrases about diabetes. Like, I am diabetic. Where's the nearest pharmacy? Um, this is an insulin pump. You know, all these things in um, some different languages already on their website that are translated yeah. in native tongue. Um, Google Translate's amazing. I also know that it's not always right. And so I like, if I have the ability to have somebody that speaks the language, look over those phrases beforehand. Um, and then also since I can't always depend on Wi-Fi when I'm traveling, I just like to have things in paper still. So some of those um, phrases that might be helpful, I need sugar, you know. Uh, but um, you were asking about different languages and it just reminded me of a funny story um, of when I was in Honduras and they were pointing to my insulin pump at TSA and, um, and I was saying it was a, a bomba de insulina and bomba means both pump and bomb in Spanish. And so then everybody's eyes, you know, got really big and they're like, ah! and like no, 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 no. Um, medicina, medicina, <laughs> de diabetes. Um, and yeah, so all kinds of fun translation stories from being abroad. But um, I do think having those phrases down so you can point <laughs> to the ones in addition to having your phone for Google Translate is really helpful. Sorry, Patrick, for the Google stuff and also just in general. So you can actually download to have offline access to Google Translate and certain maps. So I think those are two really helpful things to have. Because that way, if you're somewhere and you don't know the terrain in the area, um, you've actually download, you have a map that's available, um, but you don't require Wi-Fi or internet service. Maps.me saved my life. Maps. We've got all sorts of great resources going on here. Amir, I'm going to pitch this one to you because you're going to have a, a unique perspective being uh, not only a provider in the U.S., but also kind of your perspective of the healthcare in other, could be developing countries or just other countries in general. What are some considerations or thoughts you kind of take into place when you're traveling to a country where the quality of the healthcare might be questionable? You know, so part of this is like not going to be very helpful to you guys because I, I've been, I've like had good travel experiences. I haven't had those types of setbacks. Um, and so I kind of, I tend to take a, a lot of it into my own hands and be, pre be prepared in the sense like, you know, what Franny's talked about, what Katie's talked about, kind of having the supplies, having the backup. I've actually, I mean, when I think about it, haven't done any solo trips. I'm always going with somebody or meeting somebody there. Um, and so making sure that the folks I'm with kind of understand diabetes and, and what to do if there's an emergency. Um, I definitely am interested in like different aspects of healthcare and want to see what different uh, countries offer. But for me personally, it hasn't like impacted my, my, per my travel. You know, I think, and I don't know what other people's experiences are with health insurance, but it's something else to consider on in some place, some insurances give you international coverage. Uh, most don't. And then kind of thinking about, do I get travel insurance to have me covered if there's something uh, some emergency or something happens or some credit cards actually offer it. Um, so just to kind of know what your credit card offers or do I need to get the travel insurance? So it's really kind of just thinking through the potential, most likely problems that could come up before they ever even do come up. Yeah. Does anyone have a different experience or anything to add to uh, what Amir had to say? I've had pretty good like Amir experiences. Um, I definitely have gotten travel insurance every time I've been abroad for um, an extensive period of time. Um, and I remember doing some research and making sure with different options with travel insurance that I did have a, a medical evacuation plan in my travel insurance, just in case something did happen. I had a bad low or was in somewhere remote and needed to get to a hospital. Like I had insurance that would make sure I got there. Great, great. Katie, we'll pitch this one to you. So the next stage, you've got your trip planned out and now you are getting prepared to get on that flight and flying can be a source of anxiety for all sorts of reasons. 
but when you're thinking about flying with diabetes, there certainly could be some other factors that come into play there. Franny talked about this a little bit, but when you are packing your bags for a flight, what are you doing specifically with your diabetes supplies? Do you put them all in your carry-on bag? Kind of talk through your process with that. Yeah, I try and fit everything I can on my um, carry-on. Absolutely, your insulin, your test strips, your sensors, anything that's going to be sensitive um, to temperatures has to go on your carry-on. But um, things like reservoirs or syringes that um, might take up a lot of space that I don't have as much room for, depending on how long I'm going, um, you could divide some of those up. Um, mostly, I always want to keep them with me unless it's just not an option. And then also while traveling, we've had, you know, bags stolen from friends that I've been traveling with before. And um, I think it just really terrified me the first time it happened because um, it just happened so quickly. And that could have been all of my supplies, you know, that disappeared and our bags are sitting right next to each other. Um, and so, yeah, just thinking about in an instant, if your supplies are all in the same place um, and that bag disappears, what does that mean for you? And so I always felt really embarrassed to ask people I was traveling with to carry anything for me. I feel very independent in my diabetes care. I don't want to share that or burden other people with having to take care of it or, or carry supplies. But um, after that experience, I, I don't have any hesitation to ask people I'm traveling with, hey, will you carry an extra meter for me in this bottle of insulin? And I'm happy to carry your socks or, you know, like whatever <laughs> else we can trade. Um, because, yeah, I do feel like um, there, yeah, there's a lot of, a little bit of fear that goes along with putting everything, all your eggs in one basket <laughs> sort of thing. Um, so I do like to spread them out, but definitely I'm always keeping any temperature safe um, or temperature sensitive stuff with me in my carry-on luggage. So when you're packing so many supplies, sometimes you just run out of room too, right? <laughs> if you're packing double or triple. I think that brings up a good point because I know a lot of airlines have specific parameters in terms of how many carry-on bags you might be able to have. Do we have any rights as, as people living with type one or do we get any kind of accommodations because we have type one? Does anyone know the answer to that? Yeah, the ADA um, has some language you think about bringing extra bags specifically for medical needs, but um, it really depends on the airline. So calling ahead and checking. Um, uh, my friend Tia was just traveling to Israel and had an extra bag and they told her, eh, no, that's not a thing. And she was like, wait, no, it is a thing. Like, I can carry this extra bag of medical supplies. So just making sure you check first um, with the airline, I think is the best idea. And then also realizing when you're coming back, the same rules may not apply as going there. Cool. Great. Brandy, I'll pitch this one to you. Traveling abroad obviously involves pretty long flights most of the time. Um, and when you mix long flights with the expensive airline foods that you find in the airport or the foods that they provide that you have to pay for when you're actually on the plane uh, can certainly add up. What are you bringing for low supplies when you are flying or food in general? Yeah, um, so I typically try not to like push my luck when I'm going through TSA, like especially if I have like a lot of medical supplies, I know I'm probably gonna get flagged. I don't like to bring in like liquids and extra juice. Um, so I'll typically just have, you know, a big tub of glucose gummies or glucose tabs in there that I know it's fine. And then as soon as I get through security at the airport, I'll just go straight to the snack bar and get some sort of, you know, big juice to have on me, some snacks. Um, I, if you're on a long flight, you know, they typically do serve you a meal, um, at least one. I mean, I'm not sure with COVID times how that still works, but so I typically know like I'll get a good meal at some point, but I, you just never know, um, especially on a long flight, what's going to happen. So that's usually my, I like the, the combos. They're, they're my like secret shame airport, airport snack because they're really high in calories. <laughs> Great. Franny started touching on it, Amir, the, the TSA experience or going through security. You're not flying without going through TSA. And I know for myself personally, with all my diabetes supplies, it can be an anxious time of kind of explaining it. Are you, are you telling the TSA agent that you're living with type one? At what point do you tell the agent? What is, what is your rule of thumb with that? That's a good question. I tell them pretty early actually, because I've got the pump and, you know, I used to, when I was a kid, disconnect the pump and, you know, and let it go through the x-ray, which I don't think we're supposed to do. And, and I got to a point where I, I kind of just got tired of it. And I think fortunately in the U S you know, most of them, most people recognize an insulin pump. 
Um, if you tell them early, they get you through the right scanner and they'll pat your hands down and make sure everything's fine. Um, internationally, I've like run into a, a couple snags, but it eventually, as long as you just, you know, take them in and explain yourself, you can hopefully eventually get through. Um, a lot of times they still don't understand the disconnect of like why I don't want to. Um, I haven't run into issues with the, my Dexcom though. And I'm always wondering what's going to happen when somebody like pats that and says, what's that? Why can't you take that off? Um, so it's a matter of just going through it. Luckily, I don't know, I have TSA pre-check. It only means a shorter line. I get to keep my shoes on. But diabetes-wise, it's exactly the same. Great. So Katie, the, the kind of the three options when you're going through TSA, you could go through the, the metal detector, you could go through the full body scanner, or you could do kind of a hybrid, which usually involves a pat down and a wand with some sort of medical de detector device. Do you pick one over the other? What are your rights as someone living with type one? Can you request to go through one over the other? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always choose the pat down because I've heard of two instances where people's pumps have malfunctioned after they've gone through the x-ray machines and that is not how I want to start out a trip. <laughs> so I just always um, opt for the pat down. Sometimes you have to wait longer. It's a little obnoxious, but um, to me it's worth it for the safety of my devices. Um, yeah, that's always what I choose and you can always ask for that. Have you ever had going off that by the way too because I didn't know this because I do the same thing now like better safe than sorry a lot of times on long trips when I have been wearing my insulin pump if, if you ever just like walk as soon as you give them your ID at the TSA the first person you see just tell those people you want to opt out and that is the code that you're not going to go through the scanner you'll get your they'll yell it to other people and find you someone that'll pat you down has there ever been concerns about putting any kind of your your devices through the x-ray scanner I also don't let them put my pump through the x-ray scanner. I just have them do the hand wand to check for the explosive traces on it <laughs> and then it gives the okay afterwards. But yeah, I don't let them put it through any sort of x-ray machine. Hey, you asked the question about packing though, Patrick. I wanted to kind of go back to that. Um, <laughs> but I actually only take one bag. Um, I take my one carry-on. I just got a 35 liter pack and a 60 liter pack, which I can make tight and get a little smaller. But that way I kind of always have, I mean, I've always got my stuff. That way I don't deal with lost luggage. And then I have another bag inside of that that has all my diabetes supplies. I'm a big RX bar fan, and that's not technically liquid. Um, so the RX uh, peanut butters you can bring in, um, along with some glucose tablets. And, and I think if you tell anybody you've got low blood sugar, steward-wise, stewardess-wise, or steward-wise, they're going to get you juice without having any, like, issues or concerns. But I think it's definitely a good idea to ask for the meal times. Uh, just so you know what to expect and when you're going to eat. Great. Do we have any specific rights as people living with type 1 when it comes specifically to TSA and liquids? I have gone through security before with a juice, um, and they told me, oh, you have to throw that out. Uh, and it was my only low supply, and I told them I was diabetic, and they let me through fine. So um, I think, you know, it has to be a small one. It's I think you're limited to a certain amount of ounces or something. I'm not sure, but you can. I have before taken a juice through security. Amir, you touched on this a little bit. So there's different options for kind of expediting your experience to the TSA now. And the two that I'm aware of are TSA pre-check and global entry is one that kind of applies to international travel. Can you elaborate on those a little bit and your experience with TSA pre-check? Is it something that you recommend? Uh, I enjoy having TSA pre-check just because of the, the time in the line. Uh, it's typically a little bit shorter of a line. You don't have to, if I recall, like pull out your laptop or iPad and you kind of get to leave your shoes on. Um, it's just a little bit of an expediting experience. As a diabetic, I wouldn't consider it particularly helpful. Um, and the global entry is something I'm going to look into when my TSA pre-check expires. So um, I don't know all the specifics of it, but I, I would say like for traveling, you know, if time is, a th if it is an issue for you or you don't like standing in line, they're very helpful. But uh, for diabetes, I wouldn't say it's particularly useful. Katie, I'm going to field this one to you. Traveling abroad always involves going through at least one country's customs, sometimes more. And then it will always involve going through your own country's customs when you are returning home. What are some specific things that you're thinking about when going through customs with insulin, with all these prescriptions that uh, you might be carrying to help manage your diabetes? Yeah. Um, I mean, a couple different things. I think when you're in other countries too, just realizing that you're playing by different rules um, and that maybe 
protections or rights or something that you feel like you're used to might not apply to other places. And so, yeah, I think just always being very calm and very respectful and communicative, um, letting people know why you have things without becoming inflammatory. Um, I think Americans have a reputation as being entitled travelers a lot of the time, and I'd love to break that stereotype and be able to to communicate with people better about, um, yeah, why and how and to get through with as, as few waves as possible. I think um, something that came up that comes to mind is trying to get home from Israel. Um, when I went to Israel, I brought, you know, about 100 syringes with me for the whole um, trip just as backup and trying to come home with 100 syringes was not going to happen. Um, they said, you absolutely can't have these on the plane. They're a weapon. And I was like, has no one with diabetes, you know, ever traveled through, you know, this, this TSA agent before? And it just strikes me as, um, yeah, really interesting that that would be a flag. But they said, you can't have these. And I was like, oh, I need them. You know, I have type 1 diabetes and here's a letter from my doctor and here's my prescription. They were like, we don't want that you can't have these. <laughs> and I was like, so I need them. This is why. And to having a conversation and asking, you know, oh, do you know anybody with diabetes? And like, this is how we get our medication and we can't live without it. And so just being very patient and calm and polite. But um, we ended up um, being there for a very long time talking with the agents about syringes and whether or not they were allowed. And our flight was getting closer and closer. We didn't have a whole lot of um, time to have those conversations. And so I ended up asking for a compromise and was like, can I just bring a few with me? I can leave, you know, the hundreds that are here with you, but I need to bring a couple with me. And they um, decided on three, that I was allowed to bring three syringes with me. And so I was flying, you know, back to the States, but was worried, um, you know, what if something happened and I could need more than three, but I was like, we need to go, like we could miss our flight and this could become a much bigger deal if we stand here and argue. So, you know, we said, thanks so much. We'll take the three. And we went on our way. And then surely enough, um, there were tornadoes and we ended up in Alabama for like days longer than we expected to. And it took us a much longer convoluted route to get home. Um, and all I had were those three syringes with me at that time. Um, but we made it work and yeah, you just, you're not always playing by your own rules. And I think it would be you know much different in the States if I was traveling through TSA, but I think you have a choice and do I want to be restrained by Israeli TSA agents if I, you know, get into an altercation with them or do I just want to try and reach a compromise and like get to the next step and work with what I have. Great advice. Kill them with kindness if you can, but even, even if you do, you might not always end up with the best outcome. <laughs> and then you'll reuse needles for a while and it'll be fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Franny, Amir and Katie kind of touched on this a little bit. So thinking about customs and some, or even TSA and some of the hiccups you might kind of face along the way. How much time before your de departure do you kind of give yourself? Oh gosh. Uh, so I always made fun of my mom when we were growing up because anytime we were flying, she wanted to be at the airport like four hours, uh, typical mom ahead of times. Um, so traveling, you know, just domestically, I like to get there, you know, an hour and a half or so before my flight, right on time to go on the plane. Um, if you're traveling internationally, especially if you're traveling with a lot of diabetes supplies, I mean, it, I think the rule of thumb with international travel is you want to get there two hours before your flight anyways. I typically add on, you know, maybe get there three hours before um, just to make sure everything is going smoothly, get through it fine. You don't want to miss that flight. Um, and I have actually, when I, the funny story is when I went to Asia, you know, with what I thought was plenty of time, we actually, they completely messed up our tickets. So we got there um, and we had a reservation, but no tickets booked. So that took about an hour and a half uh, before we could even get through security to get that rearranged. And fortunately it all worked out, but I barely made my flight going over there with TSA then searching my bags, which they did. Um, extensively. And the one thing I will say when TSA, because sometimes, you know, with your, I kind of expected them to when I had six months worth of pen needles and the Frio packs, which I think is probably what actually flagged them with these weird crystals. Um, it's just to be calm, like Katie was saying, like, don't, don't resort to panic. You want to be assertive enough with them to let them know, like, hey, these are my medical supplies, like, please be gentle, like, let them know beforehand, uh, before they even open your bag, what they're going to find in there. Um, you know, in the past, 
my mom has even said like, can I take these out and show you? Um, I felt comfortable with TSA taking the bag that had my insulin out since it was pen needles and they're pretty durable, um, saying you're fine to look at these. But if you're flying with vials and they think they're really fragile and you don't want other people handling them, my mom has, and I've seen it, you know, can I please take these out for you and show you what they are? And they'll probably then do, you know, the flag thing with the bomb test that Katie was talking about. But every time, you know, they wanted, they wanted, they're not looking for people in security going through with diabetes supplies. Like that's not what they're searching for. They're just being safe. And as long as you just stay calm and like, it's all going to be okay. Great. It's probably important to note too that your mom is also living with type one. Is it? Yes, can I say that? that? Important note. Sorry, my mom is also type one, and we have done a lot of traveling together. Um, she, so she, we've experienced some of these crazy moments together again. All right, Amir. So we we've started flying. We're maybe arriving in country. We've probably been on the plane for a long time. We have crossed several time zones. Maybe experiencing jet lag. Maybe have missed some meals. What are you thinking about with diabetes at this point? And the second part to that question, when do you start making adjustments to your basal rates to match up with the time change? Absolutely. So, I mean, sleeping on the plane, eating on the plane, and then the time adjustment. Um, I consider myself a pro at getting over jet lag. I like, I don't watch a movie for a month before I go on a big trip, and then I have a ton to watch there. And then, you know, I actually set alarms so that I can set specific nap times and be ready to go. Um, I find that my basal rates are very dependent on my activity. Um, and so since I'm more active in the afternoon, um, I tend to like, that's when I need the, the basal rate to be a little bit lower so that I don't drop. Um, and so when I'm, I don't know, putting, taking that into account, I kind of adjust and just kind of keep my basal rate where it is, even sometimes may need to go up a little bit because I'm not really active on a plane. I try to get up and stretch every hour, do that sort of thing. Um, but then just, I think everybody hopefully is kind of getting to where they understand their system, their body and like how things are working. And what I mean by that is you can say, okay, you know, when I'm sleeping, this is kind of typically what my basal rate needs to be. Um, and so I'm adjusting accordingly. I actually keep my pump on the same time and adjust the basal rates accordingly. You know, kind of put like temporary, um, and I just keep a close eye on it. I don't set something for the entire trip because things are going to change, activity is going to change. I'm going to need to continually adjust. And I would imagine too, being on the basal IQ system, there's some adjustment there that probably helps with that whole process. Absolutely. Does anyone have a different experience or rule of thumb? Yeah, I can add to that one. Um, I feel like since my insulin needs are based on my internal clock rather than, you know, the time on the clock, um, the first time I go to sleep is the time that I reset. Um, so I'll go to sleep and then when I wake up, that's when I reset my pump time to the current time zone. So, um, and then I'll usually do a lower basal overnight, but your body's just so out of whack and you might take naps here and there and it's so hard to adjust. But yeah, that, that first sleep I feel like is when I allow my pump to reset and my body to reset together. At least that's the theory. <laughs> I have a, just one more since I've done it with shots and that always makes it a little interesting with like, when do I take my long acting? Um, so I kind of do the same thing as Katie is I'll keep it the same. I want to take it at the same time until I get there until I finally fall asleep and kind of figure out my rhythm. And then I'll slowly like for, you know, Three, the, next, the next day, if I want to, if I'm to wait too early, I'll take it three hours later or, you know, two hours later, two hours later till if I'm going to be there for a long time, I'll slowly get to where I was taking it at night, the same time I was at home. And now it's just technically 12 hours difference um, than it was before. Fantastic advice here. Amir, you touched on it a little bit. You are excited to try new foods when you travel to new countries. Obviously, food and diabetes go hand in hand. Let's say you are looking at a menu. You have no idea what you're reading or what you could be ordering. What's your rule of thumb there? Are you eyeballing things? What are you thinking? That's a great question. Um, I'm, when I'm out at a restaurant, I'm, I'm eyeballing. Um, and, you know, you want to underestimate rather than overestimate, but you want to keep a close eye on things. And I think traveling with the CGM makes things much more helpful. Um, when you're traveling there's at least carbohydrates on the packaging but uh, traveling is not easy 
uh, when you're when you're eating out, trying these new foods, and you don't know what's in it. Um, but I don't know if anybody else has other experiences they can kind of talk to, but you just want to do that. A lot of food is similar. I mean, pasta's pasta, ice cream's ice cream, you know, the, the meats are the meats, but it's a matter of the, making some subtle adjustments. Does anyone look up dishes ahead of time or traditional dishes in country and maybe try to explore what the carb count could be? Katie, I see you nodding your head. What's your experience? <laughs> um, I think I grew up with with pretty like conservative food choices. We weren't really very adventurous eaters. And so a lot of the times the cuisine that I'm trying in a new country might be even the first time that I tried that food when I first started traveling. And since moving to California, we have a lot more options for different kinds of food from lots of different kinds of cultures. But the first time I had ever eaten Indian food was when I was in India. So there's definitely like a learning curve there and um, definitely didn't know what I was eating a lot of the time or what sog paneer even meant. And so um, I, I definitely needed to look up those foods to even know what it was and like, oh, is this a starch? or <laughs> Is this a potato? Or, you know, is this a vegetable in here? Does it have carbs? And um, sometimes it's hard to tell when there's so many different spices and flavors and things you've never had. Um, and I'll say in the Philippines too, um, my first stint there was with Operation Smile and because I was there with a group like so many of the meals were catered so you weren't ordering off a menu so literally I had no idea what I was eating it was just a bunch of different colors you know on a plate and you're like all right here we go <laughs> and so um, that's a little bit harder when you literally don't know what you're putting in your mouth but um, definitely look up foods beforehand and look up some carb counts just to eyeball it but just like every day with diabetes it's a lot of trial and error and um, we make it through. Actually, one food I tried that I had a lot of difficulty with, and I, I remember just now, Ethiopian injera. Mm -hmm. um, it's like the bread that they have in there, and it's kind of, it's all on a large plate with the food, so you lose track of how much of it you're eating, and the absorption was a little bit odd. It was kind of slow, almost like pizza, so definitely uh, something I for forgot to mention. So you definitely have to adjust to keep your eye on things. So Franny, obviously with the introduction of new diets, and just traveling in general can lead to GI problems or foodborne <laughs> food illnesses. Sick day plans and sick day management is a big aspect of just diabetes in general. What does your sick day plan look like when you are abroad? Yeah, so I actually had the very worst of the worst happen to me in this exact, <laughs> and I can't believe I'm telling the story. So uh, you can, you know, the food in Asia is spicy and it can kind of upset your stomach. And I had one absolute terrible, terrible experience. Uh, we were in Vietnam and we were by this very famous cave system, but there's nothing else around. So, you know, when I was being, when I was ill, we were looking at the closest hospital was like a, at least an hour's drive away. And unfortunately, that is when I decided to get like the absolute worst case of food poisoning I have ever had in my life. Um, so it was pretty scary. I was, you know, throwing up, throwing up to the point I couldn't keep a sip of water down. Um, blood sugar got pretty low. I think I was in the 50s, um, you know, holding my glucagon at one point, just like, how do I can't keep the glucose tabs down. I can't keep anything down, what am I going to do? Um, I ended up, so fortunately, I guess, well, unfortunately, but uh, right before I left for this trip around Christmas, I had another horrible case of food poisoning and I had to go to the hospital here in America. And they ended up sending me home with um, some suppositories, which I never had to use, but on my like packing trip, and which should be on everyone's packing trip as a type one diabetic is some sort of anti-nausea, I think. So like if before you go anywhere international, especially like somewhere with food and you're not, not like not sure how it's going to handle, um, definitely ask your doctor if they can prescribe you a, like a dissolvable anti-nausea pill. Um, that way, if you do get sick or if you have ketones and you're really throwing up anything like that in your abroad, just to be able to keep fluids down and get your blood sugar up. Um, but those didn't work in that time. And that is when it dinged in my head that my mom had convinced me to pack these suppositories that I had gotten in my last bout of food poisoning. And thank God, because I don't know um, if I would have made it through the night possibly without those. So just like planning, like we've all said, like plan for the very worst of what can happen and then like hope it doesn't. Yeah. Amir, what kind of 
medicines are you bringing with you when you are traveling abroad, kind of thinking about Franny's story in particular? No, I, I think she mentioned, uh, she was point on point, anti-nausea and I think anti-diarrheal because um, you want something for um, traveler's diarrhea and then you want something. So if you eat something that does, doesn't agree with you or, you know, if you eat some hole in the wall, which I think uh, a lot of us enjoy, um, you know, you don't know what you're getting all the time, but that's one way to experience the local cuisine. Um, and then another thing to do is depending on where you're going, and I, I'm sure y'all both done it, but going to a traveler's clinic um, is something to consider because that way you can actually get, you know, any vaccinations you need before you go. Because that's something you should definitely consider before traveling as well. Um, looking at the CDC guidelines and seeing, you know, what do I need before I go? What might I be exposed to? So just some extra considerations there. Could you elaborate a little bit more on what a traveler's clinic is? Uh, well, it just depends. I mean, sometimes you can just go to, and I, I don't know specific offices, endocrinologists definitely won't have this, um, but you could probably go to a primary care or you could kind of Google traveler's clinics in your area. And what they do is they, they're able to kind of, they have access to the vaccines that you may need um, for the particular travel you're doing. Or, you know, some places in Africa you need, and I guess India potentially, anti-malarials. Um, so just to kind of get the medications you need in preparation. Um, kind of one step beyond the diabetes. I have two secret weapons. Um, yeah, my two secret weapons, I think, to try and combat the GI stuff is um, Gatorade powder is helpful just to have a bag of that. That when it's really hard to keep down other foods, you can always just mix it with water and sip on it to get some nutrients. Um, and then also mini gluc, mini doses of glucagon for low blood sugars in the middle of the night. Um, and that's such a lifesaver. So to mix glucagon just drop 10 or 20 units of that. Um, so when you can't keep food down and you're having a low, you can easily come up with a mini glucose. So, and then I also have a water bottle um, that has a UV light filter on it too. And so if you ever have to fill up water somewhere, um, it, it can zap your water for you and you can feel a little bit more confident about drinking it that way if it's from sources you're not sure about. Great. That's awesome advice. So when you're traveling on a budget, it can often mean that you are also staying in budget accommodation. So that might be a hostel or a community style dorm. Basically you're in accommodations where your personal items are kind of shared with everyone's personal items. When you are thinking about this, what extra precautions are you taking to make sure that your diabetes devices and your extra diabetes supplies are staying safe? So I stayed in hostels basically the whole four months I was in Asia. Um, I had a great experience. I highly recommend hostel travel to anyone who's interested in it. Um, so the good thing about hostels, like you are in a shared space, that's part of the experience of them and what makes them so engaging and fun. Um, most of them, I would say all that I stayed at had some sort of locker system that you would, you know, the bedrooms are shared, so there's bunk beds, but they'll have lockers somewhere in the room. Um, just make sure you bring a, like a travel lock. Um, I had the ones I used on my backpacks, just in case, you know, we had to put my backpack in a bus while it was going somewhere. But then I had an actual metal one as well that I would use on my locker, um, just to keep everything in there and always make sure it was locked away if I was gone from the room. And then of course my insulin, which I kept, um, usually hopefully in like the private kitchen fridge if that wasn't available and it was a communal fridge I just made very clearly that it was labeled with my name and had like medicine very largely written on it so hopefully no one would touch it and I never had any bad experiences. Great. So Amir, when you're traveling you're commonly going to tourist hotspots and regardless of where you are tourist hotspots can obviously be a major zone for con artists or pickpockets or in worst case scenario, muggings. What are some extra precautions you're taking to safeguard either your diabetes devices or maybe your cell phone, which is talking to your CGM? What's going through your mind? No, that's a great question. I, I think with all my travels, I've just eventually kind of gotten to a point where there's certain things I like and certain companies I like to buy things from. Lululemon, they make, some, they make men's, you know, pants and shorts and they have zippers on the side. So um, anything I'm worried about, you know, I could just put my insulin pump in there and put close the zipper. So like getting somebody taking that would be pretty difficult. And I tend to walk around when I'm you know, traveling with a 16 or 20 liter pack. Um, got my diabetes supplies. I can put my phone in there if I'm needed because usually I'm not using my phone when I'm traveling. Um, so, you know, 
they zip, they close. It's very difficult for somebody to get in and actually take something. Um, so I think those are the two things I use. It's not like, you know, a woman's purse, for instance, that's kind of sitting on the side. It's much more difficult to actually get your hand into. Does anyone have anything to add or a different experience? I mean, I think neck wallets are super dorky and I think they exist for a reason. <laughs> so to put, you know, your passport and, um, yeah, and even my insulin pump as a woman, I can clip it on the inside of my bra. Um, and I always feel safer, you know, when it's on the inside of my shirt, if we're in a really um, crowded area. And um, I think having those things, my money and my passport um, also underneath in my clothing. Um, also spy belts or like those workout bands that have pockets um, is another helpful way to stash some things. Um, yeah, I like the, the sneaky stuff. <laughs> Building off of this question, when you're going out for the day to do a daily activity, are you leaving a certain amount of your supplies at your accommodations? Do you bring all your supplies with you? What are you thinking? Usually I will leave a certain amount where I'm staying just because like Katie was saying earlier, I don't ever want to have all of my supplies in one place at a time unless you're traveling to leave to a new destination. Um, so I would typically take, you know, my insulin. I was on pens. If I'm going out for the day, I had little Frio packs that would fit, you know, one or two pens. So I'd slide them in there to make sure that those stay cool. Take those out to the day in my, in my pack, um, along with enough, you know, low supplies, enough. Um, I, I typically, if I was out for the day, would maybe bring, you know, one of my short acting pens and one of my long acting pens. And then I knew that I had whatever was back safe in the fridge, not um, with me at the hostel, just so that it was fine. It, I think it was the only time that I differed on that um, is when I couldn't get my insulin in a fridge right away. And I didn't want to leave all of my insulin just sitting in a locker. So in that case, I took about half with me and I left about half. Cool, cool. Wasn't any very hot things that day, obviously. I think anytime when you're going to be out in the heat, you really need to be smart about how much insulin you're taking with you. Um, enough for, you know, emergencies, but not enough that if it all went bad at once, you're, you don't have any insulin left. Gotcha. I really struggle with that. <laughs> I just, I always want to make sure I have enough insulin on my body. So it's always a hard decision whether or not you travel, you know, with two yeah. bottles outside or like, yeah, and I always want long-lasting as a backup, but then that means that it's probably going to go bad, you know, within a month. It's a hard call to make. It's a little um, bit of, like, it's just about your own trust levels of, you know, and sometimes, especially with traveling, you're not going to ever have, like, the perfect scenario, you know? You're not going to be home where all of your insulin that you're using is in your fridge. So you have to make, like, the best of the situation that you have um, and just make the smartest decision from there. Absolutely. Sure. Mm -hmm. I've never broken a bottle of insulin in my entire life ever. And I've dropped, you know, hundreds of vials of insulin, except, you know, when I was two hours away from my supplies in Romania on a cobblestone street when my insulin was out of, or when my pump was out of insulin, which is why I was changing it. <laughs> when the bottle slipped right in my hands, you're like, ah! So, yeah, I think for that reason, I always overpack insulin and I always have a lot of it go bad and I just feel really terrible about that. Are there any kind of tips or more general advice just to maybe not look so blatantly like a tourist or for staying safe when you are traveling <laughs> to kind of more crowded hot spots? Yeah, Katie, what's your, what's your rule of thumb? <laughs> I'm just giggling. I'm imagining Patrick right now in like the most touristy outfit possible. He's got like <laughs> the hat, the little like triangle of sunscreen and like his big camera and maybe a flowered t-shirt. Um, Don't forget yeah. that. <laughs> Can rock the dog t-shirt actually no i mean i think it's hard to blend in a lot of places when you're going different places in the world i don't know if the goal is to blend in as much as it is just to get to know people around you too and communicate and make and partnerships with people that are there and get to know some of the local people or guides and i think um that's really helpful when you feel like you have people that you know and you trust in an area even if they're new friends or um, new acquaintances that that's going to make a big difference from you or a big difference for you in a place you are. Um, one of my favorite ways to travel is when I know somebody, you know, that's somewhere else. I've been lucky enough to have friends that are in the Peace Corps in different countries and going to visit them when they've already established connections and relationships somewhere, like definitely feels different than um, coming in, you know, as a person from a different country into a new culture, a new place without that foundation. So um, yeah, I think that's my favorite way to get an get to know a place is when someone 
has a connection or a relationship and I can learn about it um, in a more intimate way from them and the people that they know there. Kind of going off Katie too, like it goes such a far way with like any local people, I think if you just make an effort, like so, you know, any, any, every country I visited in Asia, the languages were different, but I would try to at least learn like a few phrases to say to people um, in their home language, just so that they know that you're trying and you really like, respect their culture. Like if, if you try, like people, people will see that and really respect it more, I think. Is there anything you wish you would have been told ahead of time before setting off on your first international trip? Franny, I see you nodding your head. What have you got? Um, yeah, I think it's just kind of like everything with diabetes and everything with life. And it's just like, don't be afraid to fail. Like, I, I think I learned so much when like things didn't go exactly right while traveling and it helped me prepare for the next trip and the next trip and the next trip. And like, just to let yourself have a little bit of a break, um, just like diabetes has its mind of its own sometimes and things aren't going to work out like you planned. You can plan and plan and plan and plan and pack everything for every situation and still something is not going to go completely right. Um, and that's okay. And just do the best you can, like get through it and learn from it. Amir, if someone living with type one is interested in maybe getting their feet wet in international travel, and maybe they're not ready to go all the way to Ethiopia, what would be kind of your recommendation for someone getting their feet wet with traveling abroad? I think find a place you want to go. I think that's, you know, have that list, like what are your, I mean, I already have my next travel list, like where do I want to go when I can, when coronavirus isn't a thing, but I think find out where you want to go, uh, make sure somebody will, I would say go with somebody. I think that would be a good idea because like, you know, sharing the experience, um, you have somebody that can kind of keep an extra eye out on you. Um, talk to your doctor, I think it's important. That way you can kind of have backup supplies and be planning, but you know, don't be afraid to try something new. Um, diabetes is there, but don't let it be a barrier. Um, I think, yeah, I think honestly, if you can, if you're going to a large city, a touristy place, you're going to have access to the healthcare you need if something does happen. Great. Rapid fire question, because Amir made me think about it. Where is the next place you're traveling on your bucket list? Katie, we'll start with you. Well, I was supposed to be in South Africa last week. <laughs> so thanks COVID. Um, so yeah, that will probably be next on the list. We're going to go cage diving with great white sharks for Makila's 30th. Goodness, that's awesome. Yeah. All right, Amir, where are you going? What's, what's on the bucket list? Uh, you know, I kind of want to, you know, I, I saw number the first episode of the leap um, and, you know, Banff and Vancouver are both on my list. I want to get to Iceland um, and New Zealand's also on the list. So we'll see. Very cool. All right, Franny, where are you going? Oh, God, that's so hard. Um, I've never been to South America, so that's probably like very, very high up there. And um, probably scuba diving at the Galapagos Islands is probably number one on my bucket list right now. Very cool. All right, y'all, we are just about to wrap this up. Any last minute things you'd like to add? This is hilarious. I needed to pee and I was in a bathroom um, at a McDonald's in Italy. <laughs> I'm washing my hand in the sink and the girl next to me has an insulin pump on her belt. And I was like, ah, and I was showing her my pump and she was showing me her pump. And we did like a little pump bump. Whenever I see pumps in the wild, I always like try and see if people will high five me with their insulin pump. But it was just this really cool thing. We couldn't talk to each other at all. I don't know Italian, but we just had this really beautiful connection in a McDonald's bathroom because we both had diabetes. It's very exciting. Um, but <laughs> I'll just add that I also think that diabetes really sets us up well to do things like traveling. I mean, we know how to prepare. We know how to be super flexible. We know how to roll with the punches. Um, we're always thinking ahead about the next thing. And I think that that's what makes a really excellent traveler, somebody who's, you know, flexible enough and skillful enough to think about those things ahead of time. And so I think diabetes has given me an incredible toolkit to use for traveling. And um, I think we all owe it to ourselves if we can to see parts of the world. To me, it's like reading books. You know, like every time you read a book, you get to see something from another perspective. And every time you experience another culture place, you get to see it through new eyes and new perspectives. And um, it's such a privilege also to be able to travel as much as I have. And I totally acknowledge that. And um, I 
I'm so thankful for the opportunities I've had and I hope that other people can can explore um, stateside like Amir said too or abroad. Um, I think every travel experience we do expands our our knowledge of the world and people a little bit more. You're absolutely right. And I think that's the perfect note to end on. So Amir, Katie, Franny, thank you all so much for being on this episode tonight and for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your experiences from your own travels abroad. Hopefully someone living with type one listens to this episode or watches this video and gets inspired to make their own international leave with them and take their own trip abroad. I will go ahead and link ways to get in contact with you all if anyone is interested in reaching out with their own personal questions. Uh, but with that, again, thank you all so much. We will see you next time. And as always, the content in this video and podcast is for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have seen or heard in this video or podcast. Reliance on any information provided during today's episode is solely at your own risk. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you on the next episode of The League.